So we're going to just pray and then come to this root in, in Acts chapter 16. So Father, I just want to just commit to this time. Thank you, Lord, for what we have spoken already to us. And Lord, we just we want, to, we want to be about soft hearts. Lord, give us soft hearts this morning. Give us open ears to receive from you in Jesus' name. Amen. So Paul and his friends have arrived in Philippa and they have seen the, had the joy really of seeing Lydia and her household come to faith. But now, this is the part of the story we're looking at this morning, things are about to get very ugly. So let's read what Luke, the, the Dr. Luke has to say about this. He's, he's writing in his describing what he says in verse 16. It says one day as we went one day, as we were going down to the place of prayer, we met a sweet girl who had a spirit that enabled her to tell the future. She earned a lot of money for her master's vitality fortunes. She bought Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God, and they have come to tell you how to be saved. This went on day after day until Paul got so exasperated that he turned and said to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her, and instantly it left her. Her master's hopes, hopes of wealth were now shattered, so they grabbed Paul and Silas and dragged them before the authorities of the marketplace. The whole city is in uproar because of these Jews, they shouted, to the city officials. They are teaching customs that are illegal for us Romans to practice. A mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas, and the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten, and then they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape. So the jailer took them into the inner dungeon and clapped their feet in the stocks. It would appear, it would seem to appear that as soon as people are saved by putting the trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, Satan begins to hinder the work. In this case, he used a demonized girl who has made her master's wealthy by fortune telling. But this is the beginning of the story. See, Paul and his team, they are going about well, they're going about what, doing what they normally did. They're going regularly to the place of prayer. They're witnessing to those who are not yet Christians. But as they go about their normal business, they're being followed by a girl who's repeatedly shouting after them, These men are servants of the Most High, and they have come to tell you how to be saved. Now, that might not be that annoying, maybe once, maybe not even twice. But if that goes on day after day and time after time, that is going to get on your nerves, has it not? And I think there's lots of things within this story that I guess we're not really told. So, for example, why an evil spirit was giving the gospel free advertising? Why Paul doesn't cast the demon out sooner? 
Now, Cor of course, Paul knows best that he's stepping in, and, and, and the reason he does, I'm sure he's out of a sense of love for this girl, but he's also actually just frustrated by what's going on in all of this. But I also think he does not want the gospel and the name of God to be promoted by demons. We remember that Satan can be telling truth one minute and then lies the next. He cannot be trusted and demons cannot be trusted. So someone who's not yet a Christian or someone who's new to their faith, this can cause a great deal of confusion. So Paul casts out the demon and when Paul commands the spirit to come out of her, she is free. So we don't have all the answers to perhaps all the questions. What we do know is that this story is a picture of evil exploitation. This poor girl being demonically controlled, and at the same time she's used and controlled by owners who want to make money. In fact, these owners just seem purely motivated by finance. There's no concern for this girl. And yet behind the scenes, going on behind all of this, is Satan and the forces of evil who want to destroy lives and to disrupt and to damage the work of God. Now, in the UK, we tend to shy away from anything that we would consider to be demonic. However, just because you don't want to face up to it doesn't mean that it's not real. Listen, demons are real. Although Satan would want to Want you to believe something very different to that? Listen, they are real. Derek Prince tells a story in his book, They Shall Expel Demons, of a mother who came to him with a four year old boy, wanting to wear. And the problem was that her son was allergic to various, in fact, most, most food groups. And Derek Prince told the mother, I'm going to deal with this as if it's an evil spirit. It is that okay? She gave her consent. So he turned to the little boy and he explained that there's a bad spirit in you, like a breath, and it's keeping you from eating the things that you like. I'm going to command it to come out of you. And when I say in the name of Jesus, I want you to blow it out. Okay. The little boy nodded. Derek Prince writes, he commanded the evil spirit to leave him, and when he said in the name of Jesus, the little boy blew out four times. Nothing more happened. No emotions, no excitement. He wondered whether the boy had really been delivered or not, but he left with God. Three days later, the woman comes back to him. This time she's asking for prayer for guess what? Allergies. But first she tells Derek Prince what happened to her son. She says, He came home with me. And then he marches right up to the fridge, he opens it, and he begins to sample everything in it, and nothing did him any harm. From that moment on, he could eat whatever he liked. He was set free. He was delivered. I could tell you similar stories of people I know, and some people even you know, who have experienced similar levels of deliverance. But please don't think that I'm saying that every sickness or every every um, allergy is because of some demon. Okay, I'm not saying that for a moment. What I am saying is this, that there is a need for discernment 
Because sometimes they are. You have to open your Bibles and read the Gospels to discover that a significant proportion of Jesus' ministry to individuals involved him casting out demons or healing the sick, and often both. And there's a spiritual dimension to life that we so very often seem to overlook. But also there's corporate spiritual dynamic that's going on within our world. So we, we must not be naive about what's happening within our city, what's happening within our nation. The enemy is at work. And again, we, just, we can see this as we just look into the Gospels. So we read in Matthew chapter 5 verse 38 and Mark chapter 6 verse 5. And we find an interesting story that perhaps raises a lot of questions for us. See, Jesus is back in his hometown in Nazareth, and it says there that he can only do a few miracles because of their unbelief. Elsewhere, they seem to be healing virtually everyone they come in contact with, but not in Nazareth. So, what was it? What was happening? What, what lay behind this unbelief? What's going on in that particular situation? And the only conclusion that is almost certainly some sort of spiritual force at work. So, see, just as we seek to establish, as we seek to um, promote this, the, the positive kingdom culture within our churches, within our nation, there are demonic strongholds who are working against us and need to be dealt with. So let me emphasize again the need for discernment. We need to pray for wisdom, we need to pray for revelation in order that we may discern the true nature of each situation that presents itself to us. But it's also important that we see, we see the challenge that we're facing in the context of the bigger picture of God's plan and God's purposes. We don't want to get ourselves just bogged down in all the little tiny little details that actually face every single day of life. All these things do need to be dealt with. We deal with it in God's time. And this is perhaps the answer to the question as to why Paul waits a few days before he casts the demon out of that girl. It is so important that we take time to listen to the Holy Spirit. We need to look further, we need to look deeper to understand the big problem. So let me just I want to put just some biblical foundations in place. And first just acknowledge the source where I'm getting this from, this is borrowed stone that we want to call it. So um, Dave Fellingham did a lecture at leadership training a number of years ago, so some of this stuff comes from his notes. Um, Dave um, Devish great book on demolishing strongholds, modern league, something like that. And also um, Derek Prince as well, so just, I'll just give you a little bit of a um, bibliography of where we're coming from, okay? So, uh, so some of most of the stuff is, 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 uh, is taken from there and I have added bits obviously as well. So the first thing is that this biblical foundation that is starting in Genesis 12. says God's promise to Abraham are that all generations will be blessed through his seed. That's Genesis 12 and it's Genesis 22 verse 18. Of course, as we get into the New Testament, most of you will, will know this, we discover that, that all of these blessings, all of these promises are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. 
experienced through the Holy Spirit. So this is Galatians 2.12. He redeemed us in order that the blessings given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. This is God's Abrahamic promise that is yours in Jesus Christ. And have you experienced it? Through the Holy Spirit. That's the first biblical foundation. The second is this. God desires for all of us is that we might possess the inheritance that he has planned. Now one day, one day you are going to receive all of the blessing, all of the promises. You're going to know them in absolute fullness when you get to heaven. That is your future hope. That is your guarantee. That is for certain. But actually, those promises can be experienced. You can lay hold of them now. This is God's desire for you. That you walk in the fullness of the of his inheritance today. In Ephesians 2.10 For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepares in advance for us to do. The third biblical foundation is that Satan wants to rob us of that inheritance. John 10.10 The thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. Jesus says, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. Listen, Satan is a liar and he wants to rob you and he will do that either through ignorance or through sin or through discouragement or he will prevent you from experiencing the freedom and the renewal and the transformation that is your right in Christ Jesus. You need to fight for it. You need to stand up and be strong. Romans 12 verse 2 Do not be conformed to the patterns of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, his pleasing, and his perfect will. And remember, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. This is 2 Corinthians 10, verse 4. On the contrary, they are divine power to demolish strongholds we demolish arguments and every pretense that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedience to Christ. You see, Satan wants to keep you trapped. He wants to keep you down. And he, will, he can do this by using any stronghold that you've brought into the Christian life from your life before you met Jesus. Sometimes we call this the old nature or the old self. And there may be a combination of things going on. There could be physical, emotional, spiritual things. It could be a defective worldview or um, a habitual thought pattern or an emotional reaction or just a persistent sin. Any of these things can be locked into your life. And these things can have a varying degree of demonic influence that are controlling them. Again, I'm going to put a little caution here. You cannot blame a demon for every time you sin. We do that, don't you? You've got to stand up and take responsibility 
for your own sins. You're called to walk in obedience before God. Don't blame somebody else or anything else. You take responsibility. Because God has called you to do. Listen, at the same time, let's not forget that we are in a battle and Satan will do everything that he can to try and bring you down. So those little areas of weaknesses, you know what they are, the things you struggle with, those temptations you give into too often, he use those, he twist those, and try to get you off with those. So get on your guard. When you're born again, your spirit is of course made alive and perfect in Christ. But the rest of you requires a lifetime of renewal and transformation in order to line up with this new Bible says. So Hebrews 10, 14 is helpful here. It says, For by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. And can you see tension in that verse? See, you are made perfect. In this moment, the moment you put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, you become a saint of God, perfect and blameless, not because you've got anything to deserve it, but by the grace of God. God has saved you, He has made you righteous before God because you're clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's who you are. However, at the same time, you are being made holy. Both are true. Both are absolutely true. So what seems to be happening here in one way or the other is the enemy can operate in those areas within your life that are still undergoing this process of transformation. So it could be your emotions, your thoughts, lifestyle. And the enemy wants to try and to prevent or to limit you from being changed more into the likeness of Christ Jesus. So what do you do? You apply the restorative work of the cross to your life every day. This is medicine to your souls. Never forget that Jesus Christ is victorious. He is the one who is Lord over all. Listen, you come back to the cross with repentance on your knees and you deal with everything there because Jesus Christ has done it all. Listen, God has given you all that you need and he has created you with the authority and the freedom to implement God's delegated rule on earth. And the authority that was once taken away because of Adam's sin, because of our sin, but in Jesus Christ we have redeemed this God-given authority. So it's by grace that you walk in it once again. This Jesus won in fact for you at the cross. Colossians 2 verse 13. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of the flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgives all our sins. Having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailed it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them on the cross. But you still need to apply the 
the work of the cross to your own life by faith. And when you do this, you take back what the enemy has stolen. The truth is, it is rightfully yours. So everything that you have conceded to him has been bought back through the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, strongholds can remain in place until they have been specifically addressed and demolished. And sometimes we need to speak directly to those strongholds. And this is done through a process of revelation, prayer, declaration, deliverance, and persistent obedience. However, in order to do this effectively, we, we, we need to know the entry points for demonic influence. The Lord already said, Satan is predicted as a thief who is looking for any door that you may leave open within your life. Now, the obvious doors are ones of persistent sin, which gives him the opportunity to keep you trapped by that, by the effects of that sin. But he also can use emotional thought patterns, or sorry, entrenched thought patterns or more damaged emotions that can be sometimes caused by abuse or by trauma. In addition, you can use family or generational ties. Now, we tend to think of family ties as something very much more positive. We talk about the blessing that comes down from our family, which of course is absolutely true. So, I'm the fact of my generation, my father, my grandfather, and, and on both sides, actually, both on that side, both of them, they walk with God. This is the blessing that comes down from that we cannot, I should be so thankful for it. But also, these family ties can also leave us vulnerable as well. Again, this idea goes against the way in which we normally think within the West. And we have this very individual way of thinking about ourselves. Of course, at times it's necessary to emphasize our own personal responsibility. It's right to do that. But also we need to remember that we are either in Adam or we are in Christ. Either we are followers of Jesus, or we actually just want to look after ourselves and go our own way. So in the Old Testament, God speaks about God as being or the family of God being our family. So we're told that He is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And He talks about the desire for this. Blessing, this, this generational blessing in Genesis chapter 12, verses 2 and 3, but also he warns about punishing generation for their sins of their parents in Exodus chapter 20, verse 5 and 6. So, this is the case, it should be no surprise to us at all that Satan has generational spirits and curses that are out to destroy lives. So these curses need to be identified, need to be dealt with and removed, and then replaced by God's blessing. Again, Gideon is a great example of this. So in Judges chapter 6, 25 and 26, when Gideon was instructed to destroy his father's altar to Baal, he was not simply told just to destroy the altar, he was also told to rebuild altar for worshipping of God. It's important that we take hold of our freedom and to do this we need to destroy what is of the enemy and replace it with what is of God. And the most effective way we can do this is through prayer 
un See, the primary way that we will engage in spiritual warfare is through prayer, and particularly intercessory prayer. <coughs> so Paul writes, I urge you then, 1 Timothy 2, verse 1, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. And yet, you can't read Paul's letters without realizing that he put prayer the very top priority for the church. I want to go even further and say this, that every single event in church history has been brought, brought about through prayer. So the Apostle Paul, Jonathan Edwards, Billy Graham, that the influence that these people had on this earth is proportional to the amount of time that they spent on their knees in prayer. So church, when you hear it, I know it's been comes off the back of a week of prayer and fasting, and I'm hoping we're, we're getting this, but we're not there yet. We need to keep pressing into this. See, the influence that we will have as a church will be proportional, not to the size of our congregation, but to the amount of time that we spend on our knees before God and commit to prayer. For all Christians, prayer must come first. But the Bible also encourages us to pray and fast. I have to admit, particularly after this week, I, I find it very easy to talk about fasting. Not so easy to do it, unfortunately. It's a challenge, it's difficult, as I'm a few you, you can share my, share my experience. However, the challenge that we face in our lives, in our church, in our nation, should drive us to seek and to petition God more seriously. Prayer and fasting is such a valuable, God-given tool. It's not a chore, it's not even an obligation. It should be something that we should embrace, knowing that we connect with God in those moments. And prayer and fasting has the following effects in situations of spiritual warfare in particular. The first is this. It will help to focus your attention. Fasting keeps your own life on track in terms of walking in holiness and maintaining the right priorities. Be aware, Satan never called an offer honorable truce. If you're going through a really tough time and you want to pray and fast, that does not mean that he's going to let you all go a little bit lighter on you in those moments. In fact, Satan plays dirty. Second thing is this. It increases your opportunity for spiritual wisdom or revelation. <clears throat> Is it the situation that you are dealing with and you just need an answer? Fast and pray. And if you're anything like me, there are many times in your life where you lack knowledge and experience and you, you just simply need to hear something from God. Fasting reminds us that we live in complete dependency on Him for understanding and for breakthrough. And listen, this is healthy. In fact, this, this is how you're supposed to relate to him. Thirdly, it increases your discernment and helps you to recognize and obey the promptings of the Holy Spirit. You find that this week? You should, you're spending the time with fasting and prayer. Your ears seem to get more blocked in simple terms. God's voice seems a little bit clearer. Because if you want to develop your spiritual sensitivity, pray fast. As you do, you will learn to be bold. You will learn to follow the Holy Spirit's prompting much more quickly. 
In Mark 9, 29, and Matthew 17, 21, Jesus spoke to his disciples. In fact, he just come down off the Mount of Transfiguration. And his disciples are trying to cast this demon from a boy. And they can't do it. And Jesus says to them, He says, This kind can come out only by prayer and fasting. So, what did Jesus mean in that moment? Well, it's most likely that Jesus' emphasis in the statement was not so much about the nature of the particular problem or even about the demon that they were dealing with, but it was the need to learn to be better partners with the Holy Spirit as we're ministering to other people. Importantly, prayer and fasting gives you clarity, boldness, and authority in addressing strongholds of whatever nature. A period of prayer and fasting will emphasize your own weakness, but it will also highlight his all-surpassing greatness and power and his all-surpassing authority. As it takes the gaze off yourself and admit it up to look at him, the one who can sort out that problem, the one who is able to do far greater things than we could ever dream of or imagine. This, this authority is then delegated to you as you seek to advance his kingdom and to work for his glory. In the Freedom Church, we want to set, see people set free from strongholds over their lives. But just like every other aspect of the Christian life, Listen, there is no formula to this. I'm not going to be using point forms, I'm going to do that. But this is not a formula. This comes out of the fruits of just an intimate, growing relationship with Jesus. It develops out of a place of submission and obedience to God. That's where it starts. It's only from that position can you begin to step out with confidence. However, as I said, although there are no formulas, I'm going to give you some pointers. There are some principles that we can apply to our own lives and to the lives of others because we're praying for them in the context of seeing um, deliverance or strongholds come down. The first is this. Leaders, you'll know all this. First thing, personally affirm your faith in Christ. If you don't know Jesus, you need to know him. It's that simple. It begins with relationship. It begins with love for him. The one who loved you so much. The one who died in your place. You need to proclaim the victory of Jesus in a bold and in a personal way over your life. Listen, we talked about declaration. It's there's so much power in just speaking it out. Declare that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's a powerful statement, not just for you. You're declaring it to the forces, both good and bad, the forces around the heavenly forces and the forces, demonic forces. You declare Jesus Christ is Lord. It's powerful. Listen, if you fail to confess your faith in this way, you don't give Jesus any basis of which to intervene for you. Secondly, humble yourself. First Peter 5 says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. 
Step forward, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. You must not approach God with an attitude of pride. So stepping towards God begins by humbling yourself. It means to say to God, I need you. That's such a great premise to pray. Jesus, in this moment, what I'll do seems impossible. I need you. I need you. If you're willing to do this, God will supply all the grace that you need. Not prepared to humble yourself, you won't be able to walk in the freedom that God provides. Thirdly, confess any known sin. God's promise is very clear in Scripture. First John 1. If you confess, sorry, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and He is just. To forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Listen, God is faithful because He's promised. And He's just because Jesus has already paid the penalty for your sins. You just need to confess it. And leading on from that is repentance of all sins. Confession of sin alone is not enough. You must also repent of your sin. Proverbs 28. He who covers his sin will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. You must first of all confess and then forsake your sin. To forsake your sin means to turn away from it completely. It means to move in a completely different different direction and not to go there ever again. Listen, do not try to ever minimize or excuse sin. I think we've got used sometimes to talking about sin as a mistake. Let's call sin what it is. Sin is sin. When we're struggling with lust, let's call it lust. Let's deal with it. We need to address it, not make excuses for it, but to accept our personal responsibility for what we've done. Confession and repentance. You need to be there. There's the thing I want to mention, and I think this is key for many people who've already heard it this morning already, and just a very key word. Forgive other people. Mark 11, 25 and 26, Jesus establishes a spiritual law that we must not ignore. It says, whenever you stand to pray, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him. Then your Father in heaven may also forgive your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses or sins. If you desire forgiveness from God for your sins, you must unconditionally forgive all those who have sinned against you. Now, I know this is tough. I know sometimes it takes, there's a process in this, but we've got to get there. We've got to be able to forgive others, not for their sake, but for our sake. Remember that forgiving other people is not primary, it's not primarily an emotion, it's a decision of the will. 
First you make a firm decision, and then you verbalize and give a declaration that's very powerful. You decide in your heart, then you speak it out with your mouth, and doing this makes your act of forgiveness effective. Sixth thing to do with the breaking of any cult or all false religions. See, God hates, He hates any doctrine or practice that puts some other person or other thing in the place of the wholehearted worship that belongs solely to God. It could be anything. It could be football. Become God. Yeah. Need to be dealt with. But also there are practices that are you just need to bring people God's things that people have battled with in the past. Before God. Listen, if you want to draw near to God, you must sever all contact with Satan. This includes removing from your possession things, including books or souvenirs or charms or any objects of the heart. Just like the Christians in Ephesus who responded when they realized that the occult scrolls were linking them to the powers of demons, what they did, they did burn them. We need to follow them. <coughs> the seventh thing is this. Receive Jesus from every curse over your life. We mentioned this already. Just want to say this that the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross is the all sufficient scriptural basis for release from the curse. He took upon himself every curse due to you. So if you sense this morning that there's a curse over your life, seek release from it on the basis of what Jesus Christ has done for you. For a moment, invite the Holy Spirit to come and just because sometimes we just need to take a moment just to listen. Particularly things of forgiveness, unforgiveness, and, and personal. You may not even know us, people have spoken from you. Perhaps even as we just even speaking now, and then we come to your mind, there's something that someone has spoken over your life that's held you back. You can bring up to the cross of Jesus and release. From Christ. Father, I pray, Lord God, in this moment, that your Holy Spirit will come and bring to light anything that is just needs to be dealt with. Both the stuff that we know about, perhaps even the stuff that we are not fully aware of, but by your Spirit, Lord, just expose your sin that we may deal with them, that we may move to complete freedom that is found in Christ Jesus alone. Amen. Perhaps one prayer for that afterwards, we can, we can do that. Remember, when it comes to spiritual warfare and deliverance, you need to have confidence. Expressed in Romans chapter 8, 31 says, If God is for us, God is for us, who can be against us? Recently, I have prayed for a number of folks, and we were asking why for some deliverance. And all those we do, the Holy Spirit brings maybe a name of a particular specific demon. And then we, as that person who we deliver, we deliberately take a stab against that demon. We verbalize it and we speak it out. We say, Spirit of lust or Spirit of rejection or Spirit of confusion, I take my stab against you in the name of Jesus. And then we command it to go in Jesus' name. And so it has to go. It has to go. James 4, verse 7. It says submit to God. Resist the devil, 
and he will flee from you. This is how it was for Jesus, it's how it was for the Apostle Paul, it's still true today. But listen, there is no need for fear. Remember, the Holy Spirit is with you, he helps you. Yield fully to him, let him guide you through to full victory, and then be thankful, give glory, give praise, give honor to God. But perhaps the most important thing about deliverance is about what happens next. Deliverance from the fever of our stronghold is only the beginning. You need to live in the freedom that you have received. You live by faith. You live in the power of the Holy Spirit. You resist the temptation. You live in obedience before God. As the people that we have delivered all have sooner or later come back and said that they're tempted to go back into old behaviors. For example, Perhaps we talk about the difference from the spirit of rejection. That spirit comes back in, wants to bring that person back down again. So you need to remind it that it has to go, that it's got no place there, it's got no authority there, because Jesus Christ is Lord. And then you say, Go. In Jesus' name. It has to go. Live in the authority that is yours in Jesus Christ. See, when the gospel spreads, evil is going to be encountered. Friend of mine, he always said, there's new conscience in the darkness, and the darkness will punch back. It's exactly what happens for Paul and Silas. They're brought before the Roman law, which they are accused of pushing on lawful practice against the Romans. And very quickly, the law sort of mentality that comes into play, fueled by both religious and relational prejudices. The, the magistrates act rashly, they, they don't investigate the matter properly. It all, it all must have been, it all looked very, very frightening. But listen, behind the scenes of all of this are spiritual forces of darkness at work. So, Paul Silas, the book of prison, it looks to the end to the witnesses for the Bible. But these demonic forces have not won. Even when it seems that evil has got the upper hand in your life, in your particular situation, you need to remember that God has got other plans. He is sovereign. Jesus is victorious. But more than that next week, I'm going to spell, take uh, Emma's thunder from next week. She's going to come to the wonderful answer to all of this story. What's God's bigger plan? Come back next week. <laughs> they want you to know that there is freedom, that there is deliverance to be found in Jesus Christ. So, will you stand with me as we, we come to a close? Time to take by. I want to pray. I want to just declare over us as a church the authority of Christ over your life. Over the life of our church. Listen, we walk in victory. But we need to be walking in victory. So it's about the confession. It's about repentance. It's about humbling ourselves before God. It's about dealing with any unforgiveness within our lives. It's about not letting giving any doors open, any roots open to the enemy so we don't give him a foothold in your life. Let's stand as we just declare his authority, his goodness. Lord God, I thank you. I'm standing here. We are standing here as your body, Lord God, in the authority 
of Jesus because of the cross. So we speak to any powers, any forces of evil who want to come against our church and Lord, we, Lord, we will be proclaim the gospel that the enemy does not like this, but Lord God, we stand here in absolute authority because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters here. I would pray, Lord, just for release of your spirit upon us. Father, I would pray that you pray ready, Lord, for those that perhaps are just feeling held back or in bondage in some sense or others to be released within their life in particular situations. Father, I would pray, even in these moments, even as we stand together, Holy Spirit, come and bring your blessing, come and bring your forgiveness, and come and bring your deliverance now in the name of Jesus Christ. And Lord, we say all authority, all power, all glory belongs to you, God. So Father, we plead your protection, the blood, of, your, the blood of Jesus, protection over us as a church. For those that are here this morning, for those that are holiday or, or not feeling too well, wherever they are, Father, we pray, Lord God, for your covering upon us. And Father, we stand here as your people. And Lord, I want to just commit ourselves to you. Lord, I want to commit ourselves to prayer. Commit ourselves to fasting. I want to commit ourselves to, to being men and women of your word. I want to commit ourselves, Lord God, to walking in obedience before you. And Father, for there is sin in our lives, I want to confess it now in Jesus' name. Lord, we confess and we repent. We come to you, knowing, Lord, you care for us. Please, every one of us. Glory to your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Amen.